It's time for our second instalment of the latest 2019 project that's going to take us all the way through the year as myself, Lockerman, and my co-host, Simon Cross, watch every match that we can get our hands on that the great, <laughs> unquestioning, <laughs> unquestionable wrestling god of journalism that is Mr. Dave Meltzer has given a five star or higher rating. Uh, last episode, we discussed the original fives. Well, maybe not the original five-star match, but we're giving it the crown of the first Meltzer five-star match, which was Tiger Mask against Dynamite Kid. The first and, one we could definitively get footage yes, of. Yes, and uh, that was of April 1983, and we've now had to wait all the way up to December of 1984. I might have got that date wrong when I was introducing it in the previous episode. Damn you, Yanks, and your weird month, day, year structure. Um, <laughs> and it's we're going to be in the Tokyo, I believe it's the Karakuen Hall. Karakuen Hall. I'm not, not great with the pronunciations, unfortunately. Uh, December 5th, 1984. For That's what I've got, yeah. <laughs> relatively recently founded and soon to be disbanded, UWF, run by one Akira Maeda. And it's a match between two of the younger stars of that promotion, Kazuo Yamazaki against Nobuhiko Takada. And this is very much of the shoot style of wrestling, which is what UWF really... They didn't invent it because it's ultimately almost a throwback to the days of the Luthers, much more realistic style of wrestling, combined with a... Japanese tradition of strikes and, and martial arts being incorporated into almost, you could say, a mixture of martial arts in in a certain way. No, um, no, see what you did there. <laughs> but, Simon, let's get this out of the way. We had an aborted attempt at this last week, and you've made your feelings clear about this match. <laughs> yes, I really didn't enjoy this. I, I get that it's a shoot style. I, I guess it's one of those things... Is this the first shoot style match you've probably watched from start to finish? Because you said you never watched any, like... Because you were too young to have watched it when it was first on, but you never, like, on YouTube, found an old episode of Bushido, which was what UWFI was branded as in the UK on Bravo TV. Yeah, yeah, this is the first... Well, this is... Yeah, so in that sense, it's the first time I've watched a wrestling match in the style of a shoot match. I have watched lots of lots of MMA... Mm. But that's MMA as MMA. There's a marked difference, uh, in my opinion. Anyway, um, I thought the match was like from a technical standpoint, the moves they executed were fine. Like everything it's structured was, very differently. Yeah, it's structured very differently. I I just think there's no like real psychology to the match in some respects. I think the psychology is the shoot psychology, where instead of selling the her areas you don't sell for as much as you can and that when you do sell it's almost like the sign of weakness a boxer doesn't want to show that they're hurt a mixed martial arts fighter doesn't want to show when they're hurt and when they do suddenly sell i guess you could say the opponent will often go in for the kill and the crowd will react to that and there's a moment sort of in the middle of the match where takada gets hit with a hard kick to the side 
and he does sell him. It's really the first sell of the match. And immediately Yamazaki goes at him with harder and harder kicks. So it's that sense of finding that opening and going in for the kill. Because really the structure of this match is almost the opposite of a, a traditional long-form wrestling match in both the UK, US and Japan and everywhere else really. Where it's the feeling out process, the mat wrestling, the headlocks and the and the head scissors and all that sort of stuff. Instead of that taking up maybe 10% of the match, it takes up about 90% of the match. And 10% of the match are the hard-hitting strikes and the finishing moves and the suplexes and the false finishes and what have you. And this is also, it's early in the shoot style because one thing that struck me in the end when it is won by Yamazaki is Yamazaki wins it with a suplex and a three count. And really a three count is unrealistic in any form of combat unless you're doing it like amateur wrestling when you're holding the opponent down. He wasn't holding his shoulders down. It he had a bridge. Suplex. He had a bad. bridge. Um, really, unless you are literally knocked loopy and you've lost consciousness. And even if you've lost consciousness, you may roll to your side just instinctively. Yeah. You aren't lying flat on your back. Uh, even when someone's knocked out in boxing, they're usually on their knees or, or rolling around or at some point. Their shoulders just aren't being pressed against the mat with their opponent lying on top of them. No. So it was really, it was the early days still of shoot wrestling because you don't really see that. Well, when you get to UWFI, I don't think any matches are won by pinfall. They're won by knockout or submission. Or that actually one of the rules that they introduced in UWFI that's not in the UWF. And it was also in rings, and um, I don't know if it was used in Pancrase, because Pancrase is sort of actually was shoots, but maybe not all the time. Um, is that in, in UWFI in Bushido, if you do grab the ropes, then that's a rope break and you lose points. Like both opponents start off with 15 points, and every time you're suplexed, you'll lose a point. Every time you take a rope break from. Um, the, from being in a submission hold, instead of escaping the hold, you lose a point. And if you lose all 15 of your points, then the match is over. Those are just some of the rules that they gradually introduced as time went on. Like, if you watch a UWF fight, again, on Bushido, they would explain, like, you can kick someone from the side when they're on all fours, but you can't kick them directly in the head, and all sorts of elaborate mm -hmm. rules like that. And it probably, again, it's something that you're not really interested in, I guess. Uh, I think they're separate spheres, and... The, the problem is that without without UWF, you don't eventually end up getting to Pride. Um, as, well, it was owned by, part owned by Takada. Yeah. Nobuhiko Takada, who also owned and ran and was the headline act in UWFI. Yeah. Um, so I get, maybe maybe it's part of what led to modern MMA as I know it. And maybe without, without this, we don't get modern MMA. But to me, pro wrestling was explicitly invented to sort of avoid these sorts of matches in a way um th this seems like to me like the coke classic um in like a sense of you get like 40s matches where you hear that this is the sort of thing that went down and some people like that some people i'm not like say, i'm not saying well, yeah i mean luthes would tell you if he was still alive that that was a wrestling match a lot yeah. more than any of the matches you like young man because <laughs> um, he like not... he he gave his endorsement to the UWFI, like he gave Takada his old world heavyweight championship belt to wear oh, as okay. a champion of UWFI. It was like that idea that this is the true continuation of what is proper pro wrestling. Yeah, and, and the rest I... of the stuff is fake. 
but there's a, for me there was reasons that wrestling ended up the way it did. Um, this didn't grab me. But you say that, Simon. But like this was a UWFI in particular was a huge hit for a certain amount of time, and it was probably and it was what led to MMA becoming a big deal in Japan and led to Pride becoming a big deal in Japan. Yeah, and you know, and from there came a lot of the big first big stars of mixed martial arts and the razzmatazz of it all. You know, your Bob and Sachs, I accept your, that there, there, there was a... your your Rampage Browns and all not Rampage Browns, sorry, your Quinton Rampage Jackson. Um, uh, I accept and... there is an audience for this. I accept that people would have liked it. It's just that I didn't, uh, mm. and to my in my opinion. That's to me. If you said that this is what professional wrestling is, I don't think I'd have been interested in professional wrestling. But I think there are certain people that don't watch professional wrestling for many reasons. That if they watch this, they'd enjoy it a lot more. Yeah, than our version of res- professional wrestling. Like I said, my cousin. When my cousin watched Bushido, he thought that was real. He thought UWFO was real. He described this to me as the real stuff. I remember seeing in the credits. I think it was like Bad News Brown and the Iron Sheik. I was like, I'm not sure if this is real. Though. <laughs> Bad News Brown in particular. Well, Iron Sheik in his day was Was it Bad News well. Brown a... Um, silver medalist, I believe, in judo. I think judo. it was bronze. It might have been bronze. But I, um, was Rousey bronze or was she silver? Rousey was also bronze. I think he might have been silver in the Montreal games. I think he's, bro- I think he's bronze. Okay, well, we'll do that. I'll look that up whilst we're talking about it. So, was there anything about the match you liked? I quite enjoyed... It took me a while, but I... I I, I appreciated the groundwork that they did that made the finale, the, the finishing run, where both men sort of had their openings. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah um, he did win bronze. So that was bronze, was it? It was bronze, yeah. I like the match for what it was. My problem with the match is only on, like, a grand philosophical level. Um, Do you think you could come to like shoot star wrestling? Like, <laughs> if you watched an episode of Bushido with maybe... Takada in his prime or Gary Albright who was sort of the monster of that promotion or... potentially I mean I like I like modern I like MMA mm. I, I, like if there's MMA on I will watch it I, I'm not actively seeking it out to the extent that I seek out wrestling mm. um, I like all combat sports mm. uh, really so do you ever watch that one in, that's big in Russia now where they dress up as knights and fight each other I've seen clips of that that is proper <laughs> mental but <laughs> It's the Russians, isn't it? Um, oh, Russia. I swear I've seen what a Russian... What won't you do except admit to poisoning people? <laughs> satire. Um, I don't know if it's I've satire, st- it's just stating a bloody fact. <laughs> I've seen... Um, I think there's like a five-on-five five MMA match I've seen clips of. <laughs> and it's every bit as mental as you sound, because the, pers- the first time they get an event, the first elimination is so essential because after mm. that you get two on ones and yeah. if you're grounded and you're trying to get one dude in a submission and his mate turns up and starts pummeling you in the face <laughs> you've had it like it, I'll send I will send you a clip of that at, so you can just see how mental it is and I I do implore our yeah. listeners to go and search um, just type in five on five MMA some it will come up and I there think... might be the clip I'm on about but more than one set of people have tried this I am certain of it and more than one set of people have filmed it to go back to the match um, which we haven't really talked about that much I guess because not a lot happens and just but... to highlight one of the things I liked about the match because I'm, I'm, I'm not you seem to have been run around by the match a bit more than when like especially when we were talking about it last week don't know if you've had time to. Yeah, well, I'd watched it a lot more fresh um, when we started our when we 
tried to do our record. Um, and maybe the benefit this time has helped somewhat. I do like the way it's built around arm bars. Um, yeah, no one has like trademark moves. It's basically everyone kicks, everyone punches. Everyone Boston every- craps. Everyone, yeah, someone goes for a single leg crab. Someone goes for a, they. They both go for arm breakers. Uh, they both yeah. go for suplexes. I do like that because it's sort of like I like the chess match element of it mm. in that sense. But the story also seemed to be that Yamazaki was. I think he was like a couple of years more experienced than Takada. Like Takada was close to a young lion at this point when he yeah. left New Japan initially for the UWF. So there was that sort of age and experience advantage that ultimately paid off for Yamazaki. Yeah, but I, I just feel there was a distinct lack of motion. Um, I couldn't work out the psychology. It, that's handicapped by the fact it's A, Japanese, I don't speak Japanese, and B, there was no commentary. Because even if there was yes. Japanese commentary, I could pick up on it a bit more. I tried to remember if there was or wasn't commentary. I couldn't remember one way or the other. Yeah, well, the ones we, the way I watched it, there wasn't. Another little thing I liked was a minor aesthetic detail, and it's something I'll also bring up in the next match. I liked the look of the ring. The ring had black ropes, and it had sort of a, sort of a turquoisey dark blue. Like, well, it had like a blue map, but an, a, sort an of orange, a... an orange outer, which was to indicate sort of where they can do, go to like break a hold. It was like yeah. outside of the ring. I yeah, it had a, a nice visual. I liked yeah. it. Yeah, it had that sort of that blue, uh, like the blue bar cages in a way. Yeah. It's quite. Or like, how you, or like how you have with the amateur wrestling as well, with the blue, yellow, and red signifying different parts of the sort of combat area. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was decent enough in that sense. Um, I think the uh, I think the finish. I get that the finish. It was a little bit out of nowhere, and you now you've highlighted the points of obviously how. Harder it is to pin someone if you were thinking of it. It's more pro wrestling right at the end. It it does. Um, There's a few moments where I'm like, it sort of goes into it, into pro wrestling a little bit more than, and then it goes out again. I think there's a point where like pile drivers start getting um, traded about, which is very not much not a shoot. Pile driver. Yeah. um, Hitting a pile driver. Maybe you're right. Yeah, Takada hits one. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that um, just yeah. death in real life. Yeah, but like... Does he do like, it sit-out style or does he... Oh, yeah, he does. He does a tombstone. He tombstones, he? yeah. Yeah, so that was it. it. was getting more... pro Again, like, by the time UWFI comes along, you're not getting any of that. Yeah. Um, it's but so- that might have been also because of, like, a philosophical disagreement that was going on at the time between the two sort of main... Uh, forces behind the UWF, which was the original Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama, and Akira Maeda. Sayama, who comes from a kickboxing background, wanted it to be a lot more strike-focused, mm. whereas Maeda still wanted that grappling wrestling underlining it, but I guess with it with it being more realistic. So maybe Maeda's the one that's in favour still of the tombstones and the, and the suplexes ending in a three count and everything like that. And that was ultimately what led to the promotion partly disbanding because they had such a fallout that they basically took it out on each other in the ring. <laughs> like it, it didn't go shoot style. It went shoot. Yeah. <laughs> when those two fought against each other and, and ultimately led to Tiger Mask leaving wrestling uh, for, for a very long time as a result in, in any way, shape or form. What, did he lose that fight, or was well, it Well, just... I, I think he was going to... I think he lose. I think he lost the fight in many ways. Uh, I, don't, I, I haven't seen... I've seen clips of the matches, I've seen the finish. I don't know if it was a situation like later on when Maeda went back to the New Japan. Uh, Maeda just basically had all sorts of 
attitude issues at this point with Inoki. Like, they basically never worked each other in singles that much, Maeda and Inoki, even though it would have sold out all over the place because neither man trusted the other. Maeda wouldn't lose to Inoki. Inoki wouldn't trust Maeda in the ring, you know. And and then ultimately, I think Inoki was kind of vindicated with that lack of trust because Maeda was done for good with New Japan when he just kicked Ricky Choshu in the face legit intentionally whilst Choshu had an opponent in a, sh- in a in a scorpion deathlock and broke his orbital bone. Jesus. So, yeah. That's um, Maeda. Yeah, Maeda if you're going in with the intent, when you know someone's got their, won't have their hands up to defend themselves and you're going in with the force to kick an orbital bone, you're just a dickhead. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. Whether, yeah, whether or not your point was valid prior to you doing that, no, you're a dickhead. <laughs> So I think the I think we pretty much covered. I think we could talk about this for a long time, but we want to keep these ma- these episodes relatively uh, bite sized, as it were. There is a philosophical. We've we've skimmed over it, and there's a big philosophical debate to be had about the merits of shoot style. If I was um, to give a, if I was to give a further listening or further reading recommendation, it would be to check out the um, Tuesday Night Jaw shoot style primer where um, Jim Smallman interviews one of the two main forces behind the British equivalent of a shoot-style promotion, which is Tetsujin. Yeah. And they break down the different strands of shoot-style and the history of it. Or I've already sort of given my reading list uh, in terms of like how combat sports has mutated and now it's just more mental than it was before. Uh, if you want to see combat sports taken to its nth degree, because uh, th- this is still very serious... Like even though it's professional wrestling, it's presented like as a serious fight. You're quite right, but now we've got to the point where anyone's just willing to hit anyone with anything. <laughs> um, and if you want to see like I don't know, maybe like the zenith of combat sport, I'd recommend either watching that Russian stuff um, with the the uh, knights in armor, or trying to find the five and five MMA clip, and you'll just see. Um, it shows in a way because the Russian stuff's. The sword stuff has also sort of got a point system to it. And it's in an MMA ring as well, if memory serves me correctly. Um, And it just shows you can go too far with putting points and realism into things. And then it just looks a bit silly. Mm. Well, yeah. And also, I think maybe we'll do a follow-up discussion in some way, shape or form. Because I think it would be an idea for you to watch. Maybe, Maybe try and find an episode of Bushido on YouTube somewhere. Mm. Um, maybe watch that maybe watch a little bit of um, a guy called Volkan who worked in Maeda's Rings promotion who became quite a star in the early 90s I think he nearly won Wrestler of the Year or New Wrestler of the Year for 1992 a Russian wrestler uh, who basically really took to the world of shoot style pro wrestling Um, I watched a little bit of that stuff um, and it was really really cool um, I, I, I'd be curious if there is a place for shoot star wrestling now as a frequent thing because like Tetsujin is basically like a one-off show every year or so basically I think they yeah. have like three shows in about three years or two shows in three years it's like a little fun experiment for those guys um, could you keep a shoot star promotion going as a going affair because people would think <sighs> well if I want this I would either I should either go to MMA or if yeah. I want something that's fixed, I would like. I'd rather they go all out, spectacular, yeah. young buck style. Stuff. I, I think. There, I think. Is there a place for it anymore, or did the UFC and Pride and everything swallow up that? And ultimately, MMA is kind of like um, uh, proto punk yeah. music. Oh, that's, that's basically what I think. We, where we're at now, I think. Mm. 
if shoot style wrestling professional wrestling got introduced it would just fall into the never regions between yeah. the two people either want people want to know i think it what's happening like, people want to invest in what either they want to know it's completely real or they want to know it's fake but they're okay with that I, I think, think that's can... how most of wrestling, wrestling or and casual people are. I think you can do a Tetsujin. I think you can do something that that maybe merges as as a one off, like a like not a, not a weekly or you can't have it like a, a Progress or or an ICW. Yeah, maybe there's ex- maybe there's exhibition appeal, but almost it. like it could almost make it like their spin off. It's like New Japan briefly had a thing with Tatsumi Fujinami called. Tradition, uh, which was dragon and tradition put together or something like that, and they put a Sounds different rad. style. That was like that was like them doing sort of the old seventies style of New Japan wrestling, and guys, especially they'd like to try it with the young lions and that, and like um, El Samurai wrestled in that promotion as his unmasked uh, version of, of Osama Matsuda, and little things like that. They're almost exhibitions, like little like things for like a niche audience. So maybe Progress could because Progress did do like a Tetsujin qualifier. So maybe you could do once every six months or something. Progress presents Tetsujin Four, yeah, something like that. I, the, I would like uh... to watch the Tetsujin because the first Tetsujin thing was like an eight-person tournament. I think it had Dave Mastiff in it. I think it had Mark Haskins in it, and I think it was won by Jack Gallagher, who wrestled in a, a gi, a jujitsu mm. gi. Yeah, I mean he's got MMA background, Jack Gallagher, mm. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The trouble you've got with things like this. And the exhibition appeal is, yeah, maybe there's a niche audience for it, but you have to remember the most famous example of people trying this was awful, and that was brawl for all. But that wasn't even that was that was a hundred percent shoot. That wasn't work shoot. If they they wish they'd done it work shoot, because then yeah. Steve Williams would have won it. Yeah, because that's <laughs> the plan to have Doctor Death Steve Williams win it. Did he get knocked out in quarters semis? Uh, yes, it was the quarters by Bart Gunn. Yeah. Because Bart um, went on to win two more matches after that. So, yeah, some more further reading because, I mean, while Lorcan's right, it, it was fully shoot. But it's the closest we've seen to a major US Federation doing something. That was as much as them cashing in on the Tough Man contest, which is what made Butterbean a name, really. Yeah. It was more amateur boxing than anything. But then they introduced the takedown thing. If they'd have stuck it with amateur boxing, then Mark Merrill would have probably done a lot better than he got basically just take just Steve Blackman just hit him with takedown after takedown, so that's why he lost that match. <laughs> well, Brad of course Steve Blackman was going to do that. Do they not yeah, see but like, that coming? And, and, but I don't think they allowed kicks, so if they'd have allowed kicks, then Blackman would have probably Blackman would have probably killed him as well. But if it had yeah. just been a straightforward boxing match, then Mark Merrill would have probably done a lot better. Yeah. Also, I just think you see where last, I'm coming from, though, yeah, that I it is the closest we have. Why did Dave Meltzer give this five stars? I think is because this was very early into this new style and he was probably taken by it. And yeah. it was like something fresh and new to him, whereas we've got knowledge. I've got knowledge of UWFI. You've got knowledge of MMA. So this doesn't quite satiate your true. appetite. Whereas it would have given Meltzer something he hadn't seen. Like I said, it's like proto-punk. Yeah. Uh, it's like, um, yeah, it's like early, early age stages. Hip-hop yeah. that maybe doesn't sound as pr- impressive now after Eric B and Rakim and, and Jay-Z and Tupac and Eminem and whatever completely reinvented it. Um, it's like, does the um, 1980s uh, or the early 90s Dutch football team look as proficient now we've had 2008 Barcelona and current-day Manchester City? Exactly. Uh, 
so and also I think one of the key things was I think Meltzer saw this live I think this because that's one of the reasons why the next match that we're talking about is only three days later I think it was one of his quite sort of annual excursions to Japan oh okay and that's another great listen as well if you can find the Super 605 Superstation podcast there's a really long discussion in one of those where Dave Meltzer chats to a bunch of guys who like together they used to go to Japan quite often in the 80s and early 90s yeah so yeah, that's it from me. Um, we have given you a lot of extra reading with yes, uh, like reading slash listening. Maybe we should do like follow up discussions or something like. Maybe we could do like a nineteen eighties in review discussion or something like that. And maybe maybe invite listeners to send in suggestions or emails or do a live discussion. I don't know. Yeah. It's we can we can work on that idea as time goes. We on. haven't got to the key question yet. So very quickly, I think we already both. Well, you certainly know my answer. Uh, would Simon, you, would give, you this- give this? Would you give this five stars? No, I would not. Would I wouldn't either. I wouldn't no. either, but I do think it's another one of those things that I think from a historical context is very interesting to watch if you want to know about the history of wrestling. Yeah. And but I don't think it will bore you. I think, well, it could bore you, but you've got to give it a bit of time. I think... It's like, it's like jazz. You've got to give jazz a, a hot minute first before you dismiss it. You know? I think your point about... Um... Obviously, Meltzer seeing this fresh and it being a fresh new thing at the time. I think part and of live, prob- I think lives oftentimes affects him giving things five stars. Yeah, I think it hasn't aged well at all, possibly because the things it inspired have evolved so much. So maybe that's not a bad thing. I think there are probably matches that happen in UWFI that he doesn't give five stars to that he himself would say that was a better match, mm. but the but the the parameters change. Yeah. Well, I like the theory going around right now because obviously we're going to address the fact that he's given six stars and seven stars to matches that it turns out Dave Meltzer's always been giving these things on a 10 out of 10 ratings, but he's just until recently seen a match he likes. <laughs> <laughs> Not even Gosh. loves yet. Could you imagine? Um, Could you but imagine? Yes, in the next episode, we will be discussing a match that took place only three days later and it was an all-gaijin tag team match for All Japan where Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen take on the Funk Brothers. And it's a very different change of pace to this one. (laughs) But until then, you can find us on the various places, Twitters, Facebooks, what have you. Twitter, Simon, is SimonCross3. And I'm Lorcan Mullen everywhere else. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple, N for November. We have a show email address of lmtyspod at gmail.com. But until then, my name's been Lorcan Mullen. My name's been Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time.